Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Jeremiah, you, you realise you, you, you've got your undies on the outside of your robe, dude. What, what's with that? We've been following the journey of the prophet Jeremiah. And this week, Jeremiah is given what appears to be a strange instruction, and it's all about a loincloth. It's a poignant metaphor and a strong message to God's people. Let's join Dr. Corbett now to learn about the prophet's soiled undies. Fathers, we share your word. We pray that you would speak to us and through us. Help us to understand this and help us to apply the heartfelt message of Jeremiah to our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. This message is a little bit provocative. I'm being a little bit cheeky and uh, perhaps, perhaps inappropriate, but I don't think so. This message is called The Prophet's Soiled Undies. And so you'll see why it's that in just a moment. So we're, we're reading from Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. Verse 2. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And we'll pause there for the moment before the word of the Lord comes to him the second time. Okay, so in a moment I'm going to share with you, not personally, what a loincloth is and I want you to notice a couple of things about this. I don't know what you do when you buy your underwear but presumably you buy it and if you are kind of not trusting of Bonds or Rio or whoever it might be you'll take it out of the packet and before you wear it you will it's a worry that none of the men spoke up and all the women said wash it. One of the men did, I think. Uh, but here Jeremiah's told, take a loincloth and don't wash it. Don't wash it. Now what we're going to see here is that the loincloth was typical of Israel. Israel is typified in a loincloth. What's a loincloth? Well, in a moment you'll see that there are various types of loincloths. And I, and I don't advise you to Google this because... Whew, and... Uh, <laughs> Oh, Lord, forgive me. I've got visual images. Anyway, but a loincloth, in, 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 for the Egyptians, the, the, the loincloth was uh, a, a piece of cloth, linen. L the word linen comes from linseed flax, linen. That's where the word linen comes from. So they took the, the flax and they, they made it into fine thread and they wove it. They made this fabric called linen and it would, it would sort of go from here to here, and it was just wrapped around. That was it. That was the simple Egyptian loincloth. Then there's adaptations of that where the, the loincloth would go. Uh, for example, um, the, we're going to see that there's a picture in, in Isaiah. I, actually, we won't look at it, but, it, but Isaiah the prophet says, you, you, you have lifted your loincloth and revealed yourself in your promiscuity. It's a, it's a picture that the, the loincloth, which, is pic, which here in this instance is a picture of how God wanted his people to be. And it's, it's no accident that it covers the, 
the, the sexual organs. Because there's a, a certain, when you, when you are in covenant with God, the, the, the reproductive organs of a person is actually typical. It's a shadow of, of the kind of relationship we're meant to have with God. You know, it says a priest was disqualified from being a priest if he didn't have two fully functioning testicles. People looking at it, is that in the Bible? Yeah, and actually it's, it's in the Bible. And, and it's, it's a picture of to, to, be, to be in covenant relationship with God. It involves the kind of intimacy that... God has given us a physical picture of that and, it's, and it is the act of sex. Sex is not a plaything. Sex is not a trivial thing. Sex is not meant for anything other than a celebration of a covenant of marriage. That's why as Christians we, we look at Ephesians 4 where it says we don't even joke sexually. Paul says that. We, we, we don't participate in the joking that goes on in the world about sex because it's not a joking matter. It's not a trivial matter. And here the, the prophet is told to get a loincloth and, and gird it about his waist. And the, so the picture is, in this instance, it appears the picture is he's not to wear it as a loincloth, but he's to wear a loincloth girded about his waist. And so it would have gone over his garment, over his robe. And now I was, I, in fact, I did have a linen bed sheet that I was going to bring in and and do it but I thought no I'm actually going to ruin the visual imagery of it because it it, it would take a, a fair bit of setting up to show you that the robe Jeremiah would have worn as a priest because he was a priest and then to wear this waist thing around his waist as a loincloth it's it's it was a picture because loincloths aren't meant to expose the genitals and God says wear it around your waist it's as if God is saying something here. You, you have gone about in such rampant unfaithfulness. You have been sexually promiscuous, which is really the, the, the symptom. The root of that is you've been spiritually promiscuous. And so we have this picture of the loincloth around the waist. The prophet is told, Wear this around the waist. Now, you could well imagine someone pointing out to Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah, do you know your undies are on the outside of your... What's with that, Jeremiah? You're wearing your... Jeremiah, you're wearing your loin... You know, like, you know, a mate is a true mate when he says your flies down, you know, it's like half-mast, you know. But for someone to come up and say, Jeremiah, you realise you've got your undies on the outside of your robe, dude. What's with that? And he's going, it's the word of the Lord. You sure it's not pizza? Like, what's this? You're wearing a loincloth around your waist. Jeremiah, what's going on? So, we now come to the second part of this visual demonstration of the word of the Lord. And so, it says this in verse 3, And the word of the Lord came to me, a second time. And so I, I want you to, to ponder this as we are about to embark on verse 4. I just want to remind you from the, the outset, we're introduced to Jeremiah as having a ministry that would involve essentially five things. 
Three of these are what we might call negative and two are positive. Or three, uh, a, a, an aspect of his ministry that was something that had to be removed. And the other two parts of his five-fold call was to do something constructive. Let me remind you what that was. Jeremiah's call. Firstly, Jeremiah was called, we read this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, to uproot, so to uproot a plant, to throw down or, depending on your translation, overthrow, conquer, destroy, you know, come over it. And then the final one, to destroy or, depending on your translation, it might have ruin. So the first thing Jeremiah had to do in his ministry, and this is what we've seen so far in his book, and this is for you who perhaps don't know Christ yet, you will discover that what God will do in your life is take things out of your life. He will get you to stop doing certain things. He will destroy certain things from your life. And if you think you are not doing anything that's particularly offensive to God, then it won't hurt to pray this prayer. Oh God, if I am doing anything offensive to you, please remove it. I mean, after all, if you're, not, if you, you know, you're pretty confident you're not doing anything offensive to God, a prayer like that can't hurt, can it? And so the prophet Jeremiah was challenging the people in a way that he was continually pointing out, you're doing this, you must stop doing this. And we've seen that it was their ignorance, their, their refusal to know the word of God. At a time when the word of God had been discovered, we see that the people were immoral. They were practicing sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage, which is not which is not recreation. It's not just about, well, if you do it, you might get pregnant. Good grief, good grief, good grief. That's not what this is about at all. It's actually intimately about spirituality and worship. And then they were practicing idolatry. And so the, the three eyes, ignorance, immorality, idolatry. He was, he was challenging these things. And he was uprooting these things from Israel. And he was challenging them. And overthrowing their, their particular aspects of false worship. Destroying these things. And, and we then see that the prophet Jeremiah was then called to build things. He was, he was calling people to build a relationship with God. He was calling people to plant seeds of righteousness. He was calls, calling people to plant the word of God into their life. He was calling people to plant the things that please God into their life. Now... Here's the, the interesting thing is we, we look at this prophet who wrote these things uh, in the 6th and 5th centuries BC, how he prophesied things that would come to pass exactly as he said within his own lifetime and 600 years later. Amazing. And this, this prophet is really giving us a picture of what it means to become a Christian. I hope you can see that it's, it's actually God who, who is at work in us, tearing down things in our life. You ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? I've, I've had a, a diagram on my whiteboard, which I've been sharing with some of the people that I'm personally discipling and just going through with them and saying, look, when you start out your journey, it, God will put his finger on all of those things that, that you need to stop immediately. And, and, and as Christians, you know, we, we can be confident that if someone has been born again, the Spirit of God dwells in them, the Holy Spirit will show them what's right and wrong. I was talking with a pastor who 
was pastoring, I'll, I'll leave the church out of it for the moment, but it was a fairly conservative traditional church. And he said everyone in their church was concerned that the church was getting old and that there weren't enough young people coming in and they certainly weren't seeing anyone saved. So the church called for extraordinary prayer meetings. And they were praying a couple of times a week for God to save the lost people of their city. And the pastor said, amazingly, God started to answer our prayers. And he said it was the strangest thing. It could only have been God because we are the most boring church. You wouldn't be ordinarily attracted to a church like ours. And God started bringing these people in on a Sunday. They came in with their problems. They came in smoking, having to be told, no, you can't smoke in church. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) I was looking for the ashtray in the pew and I couldn't quite see it, you know. And they came in and, and they're still... You know, they're, 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 they're doing all the things. They're doing the drugs. They're, they're sleeping together. They're, they're, they're drinking. They're doing all of this stuff. And the pastor said they responded to the gospel. They started becoming Christians, which is really weird because we didn't even invite them to accept Christ because in our church we don't do that. That's not our tradition. And so they, they were becoming Christians despite what the church was doing. could only be God, as he said. And so as more and more of these people came in, all of a sudden, the people in the church who were a part of the church who were praying for God to bring in the lost became very agitated. And they said to the pastor, look, these people are interfering with our prayer life. (laughs) They don't sing the songs. They don't know when to stand, kneel, sit, repeat after me. They don't do any of that. They can't call themselves Christians. They are taking over our church. It got to the point where even despite the pastor's best appeal to these people that can't you see this is what we've been praying for? Can't you see that? That they couldn't. They didn't get it. So the result was that the church said, Pastor, you either tell these people they're not welcome in our church or we're leaving. And the pastor said, well, actually, there's a third alternative. I'll leave. I'll take them with me and we'll start another church. And that's exactly what they did. And so he was telling me they started their church. And he said to these motley crew of brand new Christians who are still drinking and smoking and sleeping around and doing all that kind of stuff at this stage. He said, what, what, what songs do you want to sing together when we meet together as, our, as this new church? And they're going, sing together? What's all that about? They had no frame of reference for, for worshipping in song. So he said, he just let it go. And so they, they would meet together, they would pray together, they would share together, and he would preach. And over time, they stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped sleeping around started getting a hunger for God's word started sharing with their friends the wonderful things Jesus was doing in their lives and guess what happened that church filled up so then the pastor called in an assistant pastor the workload was too much and and eventually they they, they filled their building this happened in, in, in about two over a two-year period and the pastor said to the assistant pastor I tell you what how about I take the overflow you keep this and we'll start another church and they started another church about five kilometers away And he filled that one as well, appointed a new pastor, and he's just done his third one. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a great story? God at work in people's hearts. But imagine what would happen if we start to tell the Holy Spirit, 
look, you're overworked. You sit down. We'll, we'll take care of this. And we start to get into people. We start to tell them, hey, you're a Christian now. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. You... The Holy Spirit has a way, doesn't he? And, and aren't we grateful that it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin in our own life? Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. Now, I don't know if you've pondered just the geography of this verse. <clears throat> because here's Jeremiah in Jerusalem being asked to go to the Euphrates. Now, if you have a, a Bible that has Bible maps at the back... And you might do what I did. I, I actually looked at a map and thought, go to the Euphrates. Wait a minute. The Euphrates doesn't run through Israel. In fact, the Euphrates is nowhere near Israel. So I actually looked at a map in the back of my Bible and, and, I, and I took down the, the scale. I, I, one I could use my thumb was, was 200 miles or, or, or was it 150, kilometer, 150 miles, 200 kilometers. And, and I went, wait a minute, that's 600 kilometres away. Then I looked at another one and there's a little deviation of the Euphrates that kind of goes through northern Syria. And, and if he took the short route, that part to the Euphrates, he could have got away with just a, a 200 kilometre walk to the Euphrates. Either way, it's, it's a long way away. And this has caused scholars, because in the original Hebrew, it actually says something like, it's, the, word is, uh, the Hebrew word is frath, which, uh, which simply means river, the river. And so it's caused some people to think, well, it's actually not the Euphrates, it's, it's just a river that is called the Euphrates, and because surely God wouldn't have called Jeremiah to walk all the way to the Euphrates and do it. And while personally... Uh, as a somewhat lazy servant of God, that interpretation appeals to me a lot. The reality is he probably did have to go to the Euphrates because where this fits in, we'll see, in verse 18, we're actually given a time reference because it's about uh, King Jehoiakim uh, and his mother, who was the co-regent. And so we can pitch that this was in between the first and second attack from Babylon. Babylon's already come in and attacked. It's deposed, was it King Jehoiachin, and put in um, his relative Jehoiakim as the king. So this was an in-between time. This was a time of peace when the people were saying, well, that's it. That was close. The Babylonians will never be back again. And God says to Jeremiah, take this loincloth that you've got around your waist and I want you to go to the Euphrates River. There is a cleft in the rock there. Put it there. Hide it in there. And then come back. So he does that. Now the Euphrates is a river that floods. And it, it floods in a way that, that it, it silt is spilled over the riverbanks. And reading some of the, the research into this, that we'll read on and see that when, when Jeremiah had to come back for his loincloth, it did not look the same way as it originally looked. Now, a, a, something I forgot to mention, here in this process of God calling his people to be like a loincloth, meant to be covering the whole part, but Jeremiah's got it just up around his waist, and it's an unwashed loincloth, God is saying to his people, you've come to me and under this covenant, you've not been washed. 
This covenant you've not been washed. By the way, we read on in Jeremiah 31 and 33 that, that the prophet says this, God is going to enact a new covenant where he'll give you a new heart where you will be washed clean. That's the new covenant, by the way. But these people came to God unwashed. They, they, they came to God with their sins intact. We come to God and we can only come to God having him removed our sin. That's what we celebrate the table of the Lord for. So it was an unwashed loincloth. The, the loincloth in this instance, Jeremiah is saying, this is, this, this is the Lord saying, how close to me. You were you meant to be that close to me. I mean, intimacy, good grief. This is about as intimate apparel as you can get. And this is, this is how close you were meant to be to me. It's a picture of covenant relationship. Here's a typical picture, I'm not sure if you can quite see it, of Christ on the cross wearing a loincloth. What a prophetic picture. The people that were represented by this loincloth were Israel, the ones that were meant to be in covenant relationship with God. And here they are, crucifying their saviour. I hope you see there's something quite profound about that. Now, was Christ crucified wearing a loincloth? People debate whether he was totally naked or whether he was given, you know, at least a loincloth to wear. Don't know, but it's an interesting artist's depiction. The the loincloth that Jeremiah was told to wear, unwashed, take it as it is, bring it in close. I remind you of Jeremiah's ministry. Be someone, Jeremiah, who tears down, uproots, destroys, and then builds and plants. And that's what happens to us when we come to Christ. Christ challenges those things in our life that shouldn't be there. He then wants to build things into our lives that should be there. And if you've ever watched movies or watched film or, or, or seen how someone is taking someone from where they're at, perhaps a sports coach or one of the personal trainers on Australia's biggest loser or whatever where they take someone the way they are the first thing they have to do is destroy the lifestyle that got them to that point then they have to replace that lifestyle and last night i I watched uh, i was keen to watch a a movie that kind of it was all about this because there's a it was called karate kid i don't know if anyone's seen the jaden smith karate kid movie the one that's just come out last year i think it came out in the 1980s there was a, a i think but this one's just come out. Anyway, they show, this, they show this, this young boy who is trained by a, a sensei guy and little grasshopper. You know, he's cocksure of himself and all the rest. And this guy has to completely break him. He, this kid comes from Detroit. He's disrespectful to his mum. And, and the first thing this guy has to teach him is to, he has to get that disrespect out of his life. And so for three days, he's repeating the one thing over and over and over. And the, and the kid goes, right, I get it already. Stop this. I get I have to be respectful. All right, come on. And I'm thinking, mm, you still don't get it. <laughs> there he is talking to, the, talking to his sensei like that. All right, I get it. I've got to be respectful. Okay, I am. Now what? Uh, that was said with a great deal of disrespect. I think there's something going to happen here. And he gets taught a lesson, big lesson about 
No, respect isn't what you say. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. Why you do it. And for the Christian, I read this wonderful statement. It said this, Christianity, without being in love, is really hard. Christianity, without being in love, is really hard. Oh, I love that. That's a wonderful way of summing up the Christian life. It's a wonderful way of summing up the joy of the Christian life. So here we have this picture of the loincloth. We read on verse 5. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Verse 6. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the loincloth to the place where I'd hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. I don't think I need to give you a picture of that. I think that's fairly self-explanatory. What would have happened to that cloth? Okay, so we read on verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord. Even so, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Verse 10, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart, have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. Oh, man, I don't want to be good for nothing in God's eyes. Can you hear the heart of God here? As I, as I read this and I was preparing for this, I thought, but God, this is old covenant. What's this got to do with new covenant? And like, bang, straight away. Yes, this is old covenant. How much more intimate are we to be in the new covenant? And the answer, very, very. So how relevant is this picture to us? Very. And I, and I just got to take some time out from preaching for a moment and just, just invoke prayer right now that here... God is saying, Jeremiah, don't you get it? This should never have come off my waist. It should never have gone on unwashed. My people refuse to come to me. They refuse to be washed. They refuse to stay close to me. They went to the Euphrates. And the picture is that eventually they would go to the Euphrates. They would cross the Euphrates. They would be taken into Babylon where the Euphrates runs right through. So that's why... Chances are, very likely, Jeremiah actually did have to go all the way to the Euphrates because this was a prophetic picture. This is where you're going. If this is where your heart's at, this is where you'll go. And let me show you what it will do to your spiritual condition. You will be like this tattered, dirty, rotted, molded, filthy, putrid loincloth. Good for nothing. Can no longer be worn. Can no longer come into closeness. Isaiah the prophet put it this way. Without God, your righteousness is as filthy rags. The same picture. Can you imagine standing before God clothed in your Euphrates-soiled loincloth? Putrid, stenching. There you are standing before God going, let me into heaven. What are you thinking? It doesn't work that way. And God is saying to Jeremiah, 
don't be like this loincloth. He's saying to us today, don't be like this loincloth that didn't want to be close to me, didn't want to hear my heart, didn't want to serve me with a glad heart. I want people who will be this close to me, this close to me. Wow. So we read verse 11. says this for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man so i made the whole house of israel and the whole house of judah cling to me declares the lord that they might be for me i want you to notice these four things a people a name a praise and a glory but they would not listen And as I think of this, God today, most certainly we read in the New Testament, he's called us to be a new man, a new people. God wants us to be a people. You know the expression, a people. It's as if you you belong to Christ, you come into the people of God, you become instantly recognisable by people out in the world. They go, oh, you're one of his, aren't you? You're you're a part of that people. You're someone who follows Christ. I, I can tell. I can tell by the way you talk. I can tell by the way you don't bag people out. You don't gossip like all of us do you don't swear like we do you don't use the cutting demeaning language your words have been very caring i've heard that i noticed that you're a different kind of people aren't you this kind of people was also to be a name a name for god a name we bear the name when kim married me she took on my name she became known as mrs andrew corbett In the same way, when we came into covenant relationship with God, we became known as Jesus Christ's. Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ. We have a name. Everything we do, we do in the name of Christ now because we're in relationship with him. We are to be a people of praise. I mean, imagine this, the heart of the the one who loves God, the heart of the one who wants to be like that loincloth, that clean, washed loincloth, that one who stays close and intimate with God, that one who says, keep me close, God, keep me in the very center of who you are. I want to be where you are. And the opportunity is given. Would you like to praise this God? Oh, yes, please. Where can I do this? Man, we lift the roof off in praise when you've got a heart like that. And these people were meant to be to the glory, the glory, the glory of God, the glory of God. Oh, God, how can I glorify you with my life? How can I glorify you with my gifts? How can I glorify you with my ministry? I mean, church, there are some things I am not equipped to do. There are some things I'm not gifted to do, but there are some things I are. I I am. Sometimes English aren't one of them. And for those things, those things that God has given me the ability to do, the ability to speak, the ability to write, the ability to, 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 to get into the public arena, have more gumption than, than Meyer's front window, to be able to get involved in situations where, where, where I'm not afraid because God has put that within me. There are other things I'm absolutely scared witless over. You couldn't get me to do it if you paid me. I couldn't do it. But there are some things that I, I go, well, God, I think you must have wired me this way. Oh, God, I want to do this for your glory. I want to develop that for your glory. You know, it's whatever gifts God has given you, don't give them back to him the way he gave them to you. Give them back developed. Give them back clean. 
Give them back polished. Give them back bigger. Give them back stronger. Give back to God whatever he's given to you. God longs for intimacy with his people. He longs for intimacy with his people. That's, that's the picture of the loincloth. So we are to be a people, a name, a praise, and a people who give glory to God. Now, what I've said to you today, you know, even as Karen shared over communion, oh, yeah, look, we've heard this before, we've heard this before, we've heard this before. And may you hear it a million, billion, trillion times between now and your departure from this life. May we forever be challenged to make God the most intimate part of our life. May we forever be challenged to draw close to him and allow him to have his way in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we want to be that kind of people. Oh God, we want to be that kind of people. God, we want to be the kind of people, please, oh God, please, Lord, that are your people, a people who walk after you wholeheartedly, a people, Lord, who aren't afraid of 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 women around campfires who, who, who challenge us. Aren't you one of his? Oh God, we want to be the kind of people that will stand up boldly, fearlessly, not afraid of what others say or think, not afraid of what families say, not afraid of what friends say, not afraid of what our enemies say. But oh God, we want to be your people. And Father, we want to be for you a name. We want the name of Jesus Christ lifted up. We want to be for you a praise. We want to praise you and bring praise to you. And Father, in everything we do, we want to give you glory. Now, Lord, if there are those listening to me right now who have never given their life to Christ, I pray for them that you will move them close to you. And if that's you right now, you know you've never given your life to Christ. You are one prayer away from peace with God. You are one prayer away from eternally having the lights turned on in your soul. One prayer away, a prayer that says, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, help me to now live for you. I pray in Jesus name. More than just an article of clothing, the loincloth signifies God's desire for intimacy with his people. More in this series next week when Dr. Corbett's topic is Drunk on Duty. Now, if you missed the first series of Jeremiah, we have a special offer for our Finding Truth Matters listeners. Series one of Jeremiah, the Weeping Prophet, is now available and includes 26 DVDs. For a gift of $75, we'll send you the entire first series on DVD. To take advantage of this offer, just go to findingtruthmatters.org and click DVD Offer. You're also welcome to phone and request this special DVD offer if you're calling locally the number 6330-2885 in business hours. That number again, 6330-2885. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.